What a blessing to be able to sing those words, to see them put into practice today. I know that you want to celebrate with Sawyer and the Wallace family and the great news that, uh, that they are experiencing today. And as Tim mentioned, uh, just before he baptized Sawyer, we, we believe that when one sinner turns and responds and repents and lets the blood of Jesus do what the Lord intends for it to do, that there is rejoicing in heaven and there is much rejoicing here on earth. We're glad you're here today. Uh, we are in the midst of, of a series here as we are reflecting on baptism. And last week we began that series and we looked at a foundational teaching from Acts chapter 8 to get us started there. And the, the foundational teaching that we drew out of that great story in Acts 8 is this, that baptism is a moment of good news. It is a joyful experience because in baptism we are encountering the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we would say, much as Jesus says, about baptism, it is a moment of great joy on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Jesus applies that in his, in his prayer, but I think it's fair to say, based on the teaching of Jesus, that baptism is truly a joyful experience on the streets of heaven, but also in our hearts. And so now today, as, as we, we make our next step in this, in this series, we, we add to that foundational truth by by focusing now on this idea and this concept that when we go through the water we receive a new identity and in order for us to unpack this today we need to go all the way back to Egypt if you have a Bible or if you have some sort of electronic device available to you with the Bible on it uh, go ahead and get ready for Exodus chapter 14 we'll look at that passage of Scripture here together in just a moment Exodus 14 as you get prepared for us to look at that, we'll just do a little bit of, of table setting. So for hundreds of years, 430 years to be precise, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved by Pharaoh. He was the most powerful man in the world at the time. And Pharaoh keeps the children of Israel in bondage. He uses them as slave labor. He uses them as the manpower to keep Egypt's economic engine running. And so the children of Israel, for years and years, generation after generation, they are enslaved in Egypt. And so they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And in response to that cry, God sends Moses to Pharaoh with this message, let my people go. But Pharaoh doesn't take too kindly to that. Again, he is a powerful man, the most powerful man, and he's not accustomed to taking orders. So he flatly refuses the command of God. And so God responds by unleashing ten different plagues upon Egypt, each one progressively worse than the one before. But despite the cries not only of Israelites, but, but the cries of his own people now, Pharaoh continues to ignore the command of God and release Israel from her bondage until the final plague. God sends Moses to Pharaoh with one final warning. God promises to go throughout the land of Egypt at around midnight, he says, and, and he promises to take the life of every firstborn son and daughter, even the firstborn of the cattle. And he promises to do this, and this would all apply even to the children of Israel living in the land 
except for the fact that God gave Moses a specific set of instructions to give the Israelites. They were to take a lamb, they were to slaughter it. They were to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of their home. And the Lord says in Exodus chapter 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so Israel obeyed the command of God. And this event came to be known as Passover, because that night death passed over the children of Israel. And the scriptures say that there was much weeping and wailing in Egypt that night, for there was not a home that death did not visit, simply because Pharaoh would not comply with the command of God. And so we get this teaching, that failing to obey the command of God always leads to death. And so Pharaoh calls Moses to come before him, and, and he says, get these Israelites out of here. Just go, leave quickly. I'm tired of seeing you. And so the people of Israel, they leave Egypt quickly, but just as quickly, Pharaoh has a change of mind and a change of heart, and he realizes what he's done, and their economy is going to struggle. He's just let go all of this slave labor, and so he begins to pursue the children of Israel out into the wilderness to bring them back to Egypt's slaves once more. And here is what happens next in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And centuries later, one of the hymn writers in Israel remembers this moment and looks back on it as the defining moment for Israel when he says, he, he being God, he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. And then this part, he led them through the depths as through a desert. God leads his people through the water. He leads his people through the water to deliver them, to save them, to rescue them. And the Israelites are, are completely powerless to save themselves. Everyone would have looked at this moment and realized this is the work of God. God is the one working to deliver and to save his people. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived 
But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With the wall of water on their right and on their left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. By leading his people through the water, God delivered his people from their enemies. And from this point forward, Israel will be defined by this, by the blood that was shed that enabled them to go through the water. Hear that again. The people of God, the Israelites, were defined from this point forward by that blood that was shed that allowed them to go through the water to experience deliverance again. And in this process, God is giving his people a new identity because when they reached that other shore, they were no longer slaves. They had been transferred by the power of God from darkness into light. They had been transferred from death into life, from bondage into freedom, from the the land of slavery into the land of promise to come. All of this happens here in this beautiful and powerful story of deliverance in the Old Testament. And 50 days after Passover, the children of Israel are gathered at Mount Sinai, and God gave the Israelites the law, what came to be known as the law of Moses. And those laws, laws like the the Ten Commandments, for instance, okay, those laws were the words of God for the people of God so that they might live into this new identity that they had been given. So again, 50 days after Passover... 50 days after being saved by the blood of the lamb and coming through the water, Israel received the word of God for the first time at Mount Sinai. And this day was eventually commemorated as a holiday in Israel, known as Shavuot in Hebrew. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. And Jesus is arrested at the time of Passover. He is crucified. The Lamb of God, who is sacrificed for the sins of the world. And in the original Passover, you have God delivering Israel, saving Israel, delivering Israel from death in Egypt by the blood of of lambs that were slain and the blood that went over the doorpost. Well, now we have not just Israel, we have the entire world, all who would respond, all who would place their trust in him. Salvation and deliverance is now made available because of the work of the blood of the Lamb of God who has died for the sins of the world. And 50 days later, 50 days after the death of Jesus, 50 days after Passover, when everyone was gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuot, which in Greek is called Pentecost, Fifty days later, something significant happened. Fifty days after the lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the world, the followers of Jesus are gathered together, and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. They begin to speak in tongues, and Simon Peter steps forward, and the people there hear a new word from God, a new word. Just as the children of Israel received a new word from God at Mount Sinai, now the children of Israel who were gathered there along with the nations, hear a new word, this time about Jesus. 
And Simon Peter says in Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Simon Peter continues. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, this God, the God who has made Jesus, he's made him whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then something truly powerful happened starting in verse 37 of Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God has called. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this wicked, corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Archaeologists have discovered dozens of baptistries around the temple area in Jerusalem where the people would have been gathered on that day. This picture is taken by a good friend of mine who was able to go to the Holy Lands back in uh, the fall. This is actually one of the walls, one of the entrances into the temple. We believe this would have been where Jesus entered into the temple area. Uh, and you can see here outside, there are all these, these places. You see the wall kind of on the far left there. You see also these, like right here in the front view of the picture, there's these steps that kind of go down. And you can see, if you look closely, if you were able to zoom in on this, you can see there are dozens of these sprinkled around this, this area here. And those were baptistries or mikvaot in Hebrew. And, and there are, are dozens of these outside the temple area. Here's a picture, not from the same location, but you get kind of the, the imagery here these were outside the temple because it was it was something that that was common in judaism it, baptism didn't just begin with john the baptist or simon peter did, didn't just invent some new thing you know when he was preaching here on on the day of pentecost uh, the the jews before they would come to the temple they would go into these baptistries they would immerse themselves as a way of cleansing themselves ritually before they entered into the temple so you can see here the steps that lead down into it the first couple of steps there's a little bit of a divider kind of wears off there on the final steps before you enter the water. But in, in Jewish baptism, you would walk in on one side, immerse yourself, cleanse yourself, and walk out on the other side because you don't just come out of the water the same way you went in. Right? There's something that happens down in there in the, the Jewish thought. Okay? So we have all these baptistries that have been discovered there. But on Shavuot, on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter preaches and delivers this new word, and here's what's new about it. 
Instead of being ceremonially cleansed before you enter into the temple, now the new word is this, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So remember what we said last week, to be baptized is literally to be immersed. It's to be soaked, it's to be plunged. It's, it's a, a word that's used to describe this action where the item that is being immersed actually begins to take on the quality of that into which it is immersed. So, for instance, if you have a piece of cloth and you dip it, you baptize it, you immerse it into dye, it comes out a different color, right? That's the goal. That's the idea. And so in the same sense, we have this, this new word that's coming about being baptized, not just about going down into the water, but to be baptized in the name of Jesus. To begin to take on the qualities and the characteristics of Jesus. To walk into that water sinful. As Simon Peter said, you all killed the Son of God. And with all that, that blood on our hands, the reply is, okay, what, what do we do? And he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Repent and turn and embrace what he has freely given and done. Be baptized in his name and come up out of that water. Something new and redeemed and transformed and holy and pure. That's what baptism was, was representing in, in that moment. That's what Simon Peter is preaching and making available, this good news. So it's easy to picture all these people lining up not to be dipped before they go into the temple, but instead to be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins so they can have access to the temple of God. And all this happens on this beautiful, wonderful day recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And the timing of it gives such meaning and richness to baptism. Because again, you have Jesus, who's the Lamb of God, who's crucified at Passover, that season, that time of year, when Israel remembered her deliverance, the blood that was shed that enabled her to go through the water. And then this new word comes on Pentecost, to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. At the Red Sea, a new people came up out of that water. When they reached the shore, it was a new people who came up out of that water. They were no longer slaves. They had been liberated and, and set free. They'd been delivered from their bondage. And on that day of Pentecost, in the same way, a new people came up out of that water, and they too had been delivered from the bondage of their sin. Repent and be baptized. And coming up out of those waters, there's a new people, the church of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it says that 3,000 accepted this new identity on that day. Here's what Israel understood when she walked through the water. Here's what those 3,000 understood when they went through the water that day as well. They understood that when you walk through the water, things are never the same again. You don't walk through the water and come up out of that water and then, and then go back to living like slaves. No, you don't do that. Because going through the water, walking through that water, entering into that water, it's about receiving this new identity, again, about, about being delivered from bondage into freedom, from darkness to, to light, from death to life, from the land of slavery to the land of promise. That's what's represented there. And so, that's what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
It is to be defined by your association with the blood that was shed on that cross that we just remembered. It's about saying, I, I, I want my story to be the story of Jesus. Because every story ends in death, not every story ends in life. In order to get to the eternal life that Jesus offered, even he had to go through the cruelty of death. And so baptism in the name of Jesus is to accept the working of the blood of the Lamb. And when you walk through the water of, of baptism, things are never the same. It's because you've been changed. It's because you've been given a new, a new, a new identity. If you've walked through those waters before at some point in your life, I just want to ask you today, are, are you living the baptized life? Are you living out that new identity that you received as a son or a daughter of God? When the Israelites went through the water, they received a new identity, but they also received a new purpose. Remember, they go to Mount Sinai and they receive the command of God. And, you know, people, I think a lot of times we misunderstand, you know, what does God intend through those commandments? Um, even the word itself, to command, obey, those terms are colored in our culture today. Because we, we push back from anyone who claims to have authority and telling us how we ought to live our lives. But, but if we understood the commands of God, we wouldn't treat his commands that way. Because God is not trying to rob us of real life. It's just the opposite. He's trying to give us real life as the author of life, as the creator himself. So the commands of God that God gave to Israel, they were intended to bring life. Not, not take life away. No, unfaithfulness to the command of God, that always leads to death obedience to the will and the way of God always leads to life and so those words given at Mount Sinai to the people of God God intends for her for Israel to live in, a, in obedience and faithfulness to those teachings so that Israel would be a light to the world remember when Jesus said I am the light of the world and then he said to his followers you are the light of the world he was just repeating what was already in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, for instance, there are several places where God himself tells Israel, my intention was for you, through covenant obedience and faithfulness, to be a light to the nations, so that other people would know about me through you, through your faithfulness to these commands. That's what God intended. And likewise, the covenant people of God, when we receive this gift of baptism, he doesn't just leave us to figure it out on our own no he gives us teachings and commands and he intends for us through covenant faithfulness and obedience to be a light to the world once more so my question for you if you have given your life to jesus and baptism my question would be are you living the baptized life are you being a, a light to others are you living out that baptism as one who was who was delivered from the land of death into life. We'll talk about this more next week. But baptism's not like, hey, you were bad over here and the Lord wants to scrub you up and make you good. No. <laughs> you were dead and he brought you back to life. And that's the way we ought to live when we've given our lives over to him in baptism. The man died for us, y'all. He calls us to live a life that bears witness 
the incredible goodness that we've experienced through him. So if you've given your life to him, my call would just be, hey, can, can this message serve as a, a bit of a reminder for us to live the baptized life? And can we commit to doing that together as a church family? But if you've never walked through those waters, my question for you today is this. Do you want to be free? If you've never walked through those waters, do you, do you want to live a different kind of life? And let's talk for a minute about what it is that, that enslaves you. Something holds you in bondage. Now, I don't know what it is. Sin is the, just the, the catch-all category that we could use, okay? But what exactly it is that, that is holding you in bondage right now, I don't know what it might be. Maybe, maybe it's your past. Maybe it's something, that, a mistake you made all those years ago, and you're still trying to live that down some way. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's this constant sense that you're not enough. And you'll never measure up. And because of that, you don't feel worthy to go down into those waters. Maybe that's what's holding you back. Maybe it seems like in your life, sin has a hold of you and it won't let go. Or maybe a better way to put it for you might be, I'm the one holding on to sin and I'm the one who doesn't want to let go. I don't know what it would be in your life, but whatever it is that is enslaving you, I hope you know it is trying to take your life. And if you let it, it will kill you. So would you just let God lead you to the waters? He wants to deliver you, just like he delivered Israel, safely to the other side, to give you a new identity and to give you a new purpose. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Would you go through the water and receive that new identity? I have to be honest with you, though. If you start to make a move toward the water, you need to know this. If you start to make a move toward the water, if you've never done this before and you start to make that move, something will chase after you. Just as Israel, she, she was making a move toward the water and Pharaoh had a change of mind and, and, and he loaded up those chariots and he started chasing after Israel. If you start to make a move toward the water, something, and I don't know what it is, but something is going to chase after you. Because Egypt doesn't give up without a fight, unfortunately. The enemy will ride hard on your heels and say to you, you're not a slave here. You come and go as you please. Think about what you'll have to give up in order to receive this baptized life doubt and fear and shame and guilt and complacency and indulgence and death those are riders in pharaoh's army and they will pursue you seeking to drag you back to egypt and make you a slave once again but the chariots of Egypt are no match for the power of God. The chariots of Egypt are no match for the power of God. And in the waters of baptism, your God stands ready to slay Pharaoh's army all over again. To put to death 
whatever it is that's enslaving you and that's pursuing you even right now. And he promises to deliver you safe and sound to the other shore, to give you a new identity and to give you a new purpose. So may this be what defines us, the blood that was shed that enabled us to go through the water. May we be people who've gone through the water. And if you need to go through the water today, I hope that you'll respond and share that glorious good news with us. The water is warm. I was just up there. <laughs> we would love to share in this great joy that Sawyer and his family are experiencing. If you need to go through the water, I hope you will. Let's stand together and let's sing.